Well, that's a great song, and it's so true that we have a lot to praise God for. You guys have been praying for Shelly Venema, and I am pleased to report that she had a very successful surgery, that it came back clean, that she is cancer-free. and that she doesn't need chemo or radiation. But that's another amazing praise. She's at home right now. She's resting. And there is a request that I know you all want to go rush right now to go visit her, to hug her, but to not visit her until after Labor Day. She is still resting a lot from that surgery. And so Pastor John is not able to be with us this morning because he is being a good and faithful husband for his wife. So I have the honor and the privilege to preach this morning. My name is Jared Irvine, the pastor of Junior High Ministries. And so this morning we're looking at a text from John 13 about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We live in a, in a violent world. And it doesn't take, we don't need these mass shootings that have happened recently in El Paso, Dayton, Gilroy, Philadelphia, these different places. We don't need them to remind us for proof that we live in a violent world. That's very evident. And wherever you come out on the debate or whatever, it's indisputable that human beings have the propensity, the inclination to do violence towards one another, to hurt each other. That in this, this side of Eden is a, is a land of bloodshed in a land of violence. In fact, the very first story after the fall of humanity, right, in Genesis chapter three, human beings fall into sin, the very first story is about the children, the children of the first human beings. And what is the story about? It's about a murder. It's about one brother killing another. And so if that's any indication of the world that we live in, it's a world full of violence and bloodshed. That, that Post-Eden, that's the world we live in. But violence is symptomatic of a deeper problem. It's the deeper problem of self-love, that we are in love with ourselves and that we do not like the other, and that the other, instead of seeing them as someone to benefit, as someone to serve, as someone to love, that we see the other now as competition. We see them as a threat. And if they have something that we want, that we will go and get it. And even if it means resorting to violence, because we are about us or our group rather than the other. And so we see this all around us, this self-love, self-promotion, and it exemplifies itself often in violence. But is this the only way to live life? I mean, we've said that since Eden, that this has been the way human beings have lived and operated in the world. But you see, Jesus came and he showed a different way of living, a different way of operating and being in the world. And that he came to set up a contrast community, that this is the way the world lives and operates, but he's coming to set up a world around him that lives and looks like Jesus. And so this morning we're looking at John 13 where Jesus shows that. He washes disciples' feet and then he commissions them to live this kind of life in the world today. That Jesus, it's crazy to think that he lived in the same world that we live in. Now it's true that Jesus didn't have an iPhone. He never rode on an airplane. 
He didn't have some of these technological advances that we have, but he lived in the same self-centered, self-love, violent-filled world. And this is how he responded. And this is how he lived in that world. Instead of living for himself, instead of being about self-love, that he sacrificed his life for the good and the benefit of other people. That instead of, instead of being self-serving, that Jesus, in fact, served others. And this story found in John 13 shows that. So if you have your New Testaments, open up to John chapter 13. I will read the first five verses to begin. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That Jesus in this passage, it says that he knows a couple of things. One is he knows the hour. He knows what time it is. That it says that he knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. That in John 13 is a very pivotal chapter in the gospel of John. That in the first 12 chapters, Jesus is doing a public ministry. And it's increasing animosity towards Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 11, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, there's a, now a plot to kill Jesus. Caiaphas, the high priest, says that it's better for one man to die than the whole nation to perish. And that puts them on the trajectory that they're going to kill Jesus. And then in John chapter 12, Jesus openly says that his hour of death is near. Now, John 13 Right, 12 chapters of public ministry, now it changes. John 13 begins what is called the farewell discourse. Jesus now knows his hour of death is near, and now he turns to his disciples. These are the people that he's leaving, and this is the community that he's formed, and they are gonna go out in the world. And so now he's turned to them, and he's gonna talk to them for four chapters, through 13 through 17, and then in 18, Jesus gets arrested, and then in 19, he's crucified. So this right now, Jesus knows his hour of death is near. What's super important about that is if you knew you were going to die, and Jesus knows he's going to die, and he, in fact, he even says Judas is about to betray him. He knows that. He's fully aware of that. And so you had one last lesson, one last thing that you're going to tell your children if you're a teacher, your students, your coworkers, your friends, one last thing, what would it be? So Jesus knows his hour. He's doing this intentionally, on purpose. And this is what Jesus decides to do. He decides to take up a towel and water and wash the disciples' feet. Now this is important because Jesus is also wanting to foreshadow and point to what is later to come. That this is not merely a story about Jesus being nice or whatever and washing some feet of the disciples. That he is wanting to show them 
to foreshadow, to point to what is about to come, which is his death on the cross. He wants to show them the kind of death and what it means and why he's about to die because he knows his hour of departure is near. Now in John chapter 10, Jesus says that no one takes his life from him, but that he's laying it down. And so Jesus is, he's wanting to show that his life is a sacrifice. This is not an accident that Jesus is intentionally doing this all along. He knows his hour is near, but he knows that the hour is something that has been, has been ordained, that this is what he came to do. It's not an accident. And so the humble service of washing the disciples' feet and then the cleansing of them is to point to the cross where Jesus does an even greater act of service where he dies for us and then cleanses us of our sin. So that requires a humble service in cleaning. But Jesus not only knows his hour, but he knows who he is. It says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And so Jesus is not ignorant of who he is. He knows his identity. He knows that he is not just a rabbi for disciples, but he is the Lord of all, that he has divine authority. That This is very reminiscent of the passage in Matthew 28, where he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That Jesus knows that the Father has given him all things. And this is absolutely shocking. This takes this shocking passage and makes it unbelievable that the Lord of the universe would actually do this act of service. Because you see in the first century, I don't know uh, about you if you knew about the foot washing thing, but to be person in that time to wash the feet is only the job of a slave. That it's the lowest, most degrading, demeaning job that there is. And that to be a foot washer is synonymous with being a slave. And yet Jesus is the one to wash the feet. That he is doing a slave's job. A slave's job. And this is the Lord of the universe. That he knows who he is. He's not ignorant of that. And yet he decides to do this job of washing their feet. Now you might have come in this morning thinking that, that God is this this transcendent and pure and holy God, that he is so far removed from us that he wants nothing really to do with sin and all of that, and so he is so far away that he would never come near, he would never get involved in the filth of the world, he would never come down into that. And there's precedent for that. I mean, Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah walks into the throne room of God. He sees God on the throne, and he sees these angels, and they're called the seraphim, and there's these, they're literally the fiery and these burning angels. And they have all these wings, but with two of them, they cover their face. And so they're circling around the throne of God, and they're crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, if we were to see one of these, these angels, like we would be freaking out. We would be covering our face. We would not be able to look upon these majestic and glorious beings. And they can't even look at God because of his purity and his holiness. And so, yeah, you might think that, that God is so pure and so holy that what would he ever want to do with me 
And because of my filth and my sin and my shame, he would be so far away from me. He would never, ever come down. But that idea is wrong. It's to be rejected. God is pure. God is holy. But he did come near. He has come into the filth of the world. He has come into the sin of the world. And he has taken up the slave's job. And he has washed us. He has made us clean. In John chapter 1, it's the prologue of John, the first 18 verses. It begins the entire work. And the point of the whole thing is that Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. It ends in verse 18, where it says that Jesus has made God known. So if you're going to see God's face, John's saying, as you're reading the Gospels, as you're reading his work, that this is not just a guy, not just a first century rabbi, but you're actually seeing the word became flesh. That you are seeing a much greater person than what it looks like on the page. That he is God incarnate. He is God in person. And so we're saying, where is God in the Gospel of John? If you're saying, where is the face of God? You look at Jesus. Where are the actions of God? Look at Jesus. What does the heart of God look like? Look at Jesus. And so in this passage, where is Jesus? Jesus is taking up a towel and he's washing the filthy, dirty feet of the disciples. That's where God is. And a couple chapters later, where is Jesus? He is hanging on a cross. He has nails driven into his wrist. He has a crown of thorn driven into his head. He is bleeding. He is suffocating. He is dying for us. That's where God is. And so this idea that God would never come near, that he would never want anything to do with the filth of the world, with our sin, is wrong. That the good news is, is that God has come near and that God has cleansed us, he has forgiven us, and he's done it by sacrificing his life for us. And that's the good news. And why did he do that, though? It's because of love, is it not? The radical love of God, that he is pure, that he is holy, but he loves us. He's compelled by his love. The most famous verse in the Bible, written by this author. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That the reason why, this is how God showed love to the world, is he sent Jesus to die for us. It's the love of God that compels this holy one, this transcendent one, this pure one, the one that the angels still worship, still call holy, holy, holy. He's not changed at all, but this holy God would become human. This holy God would come down and wash our feet and take up that slave's job for us. So you might have thought that God wouldn't come near, but he has. The question is, do we receive it? Verse 6. I'll read 6 through 11. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Simon said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Jesus said to him, 
you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. All right, how many of you guys like feet? <laughs> Weird question. Yeah. No one's like, yeah, I love feet. I hate having my feet touched. Is anyone with me, my people? Yeah, there we go. Don't know why I'm saying this because junior hires might hear this and because <laughs> I, like, in my head, squirming, thinking about being held down and people touching my feet, <laughs> torturous idea <laughs> to me. Fair warning, played soccer my whole life. Instinct would be to kick, so. Break your face, your fault. But, so Jesus comes to Peter, and if Jesus were to come to me, I would reject too, because it wouldn't be like, it'd be more like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not you, it's me, sort of thing. Like, I just don't want you to touch my feet. It's like, can you not do that, please? But he comes to Peter, and Peter rejects Jesus' washing. Now, it's what we talked about before, that when Peter is, is getting approached by Jesus, he's being approached by his master, by a superior. And in the culture, like we said, the superior would never, ever wash the feet of an inferior. If anything, Peter, one of the disciples, should be doing that to Jesus. And in fact, even that, that might not even, that would not even be too high for, by for them, that it would be too low a position, that it's for a slave to do that. And so Jesus comes to Peter and he outright rejects. Now he says, it's very strong. It's the strongest rejection that Peter could ever give. He's saying essentially that as long as the world has like being, as long as there is a universe, as long as he has life, that Jesus would never wash his feet. He's not just like, no, nah, not this time, maybe next time. No, he's like, you will never, ever do this. Now, I don't want us to, to go past this too quickly, that we have to feel the resistance of Peter, that we have to actually say that reaction is absolutely right, that Peter is right. Jesus should never, ever wash his feet. That anyone in the first century reading this text would be absolutely shocked that Jesus would even attempt to do this? He should never be doing this. Why is he doing this? And so for us, we have to be able to sit in this and to feel the, like, the wrongness of this action. That Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, you should not do this. I should be doing this, if anything. This is, this is too far beneath you. Don't do this to yourself. That's Peter's reaction. Because this is, as it's been often called, the scandal of grace. I mean, grace, it's a word that we use. It's, it's our name of our church. It's, yeah, so we use it all the time, but sometimes we get this idea of what grace is. Grace is giving to the unworthy what they don't deserve, right? The undeserving. It's giving them what they don't deserve. It's like letting the guilty go free. It should be scandals. It should feel wrong. It should be like, that's not something that should happen. 
You shouldn't do that for me. I should be doing that. Or, or let me clean myself for this idea. But Jesus is coming and he is asking Peter to wash his feet. That's grace. That this should not, we should not receive this. But we should be doing it for him. We don't deserve to have our feet washed. We don't deserve for him to die on the cross for our sin. And yet he is. And this is what he offers. And so Peter initially rejects it. But then Jesus comes back with a super, super strong reaction back. Just like Peter threw it down, Jesus throws it right back at him, gives him an ultimatum. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me, no share with me, no inheritance with me. That you are separated, that you are removed, that Jesus is throwing this down. And you're like, whoa, it's just a foot washing. Like, what's going on? But it's so much bigger than that. We've already said he is foreshadowing the ultimate cleansing that is happening, that he's saying that, that Jesus is the only one who can wash Peter, that Peter can't go wash himself, that, that the cleansing that we need can only come from what Jesus gives, only comes from what Jesus offers. And so Peter has to accept it, or he is in his sin. He is separated. He is far removed from him. And I love, love Peter's reaction. He is exuberantly, he gives up his position right away. Because a life without Jesus, he cannot comprehend what that would be like. And so he does what's only available to him. And that is to accept the foot washing of Jesus, the cleansing of Jesus that he offers. And so there's no other way. There's no other way that we enter. We enter in one way and one way only is by receiving humbly the washing of our feet or our sins. That Jesus comes and that he comes with a towel this morning and a water basin, and he wants to wash our feet. He wants to remove our sin. But we have to accept it. We have to accept the grace of God. It's the only cleansing that's available to us. So do not reject him. And if you have not received the cleansing of Jesus, have not received the forgiveness that he offers, to receive it this morning, that he offers it anew this morning to you. He wants to come and he wants to wash your feet. He wants to forgive us of our sin. But we have to let him. We have to receive it. We have to humbly accept it. But so often we want, like we have the Peter reaction. We say, no, 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 no. Let me earn it. Let me do it myself. I'll wash my own feet. I'll cleanse myself. I don't want your cleansing. But that's the only cleansing available to us is Jesus with a towel and a basin, him hanging on a cross. That's the only salvation available to us, and we have to receive it by grace. We have to receive it, even though we're not worthy of it, we don't deserve it, we have to accept it. And so that's why we're grace community, amen? That we have to accept the grace. And we are a community that every, come, every morning that we come and gather together, we're saying that we're a community who has received the grace of God. 
that we have had our feet washed, not because we wash our own feet, but because Jesus is the only one who can save us. Jesus is the only one who can wash us. And so we come to him and we have accepted it. And he has washed our feet. But this cleansing is not just a, it's not just a cleansing only, but that Jesus is actually commissioning us to go out into the world to be his disciples. 12 through 17. <clears throat> when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so Jesus, he now resumes his place. He is their Lord. He is their teacher. And now he's going to tell them the lesson that he has just done for them. And he turns it outward that he's washed their feet. And now he's saying that you now are to do the very thing that I have just done to you. That this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is a, a follower of Jesus. Remember we said way back is that you had one lesson to give. You had one last thing that you wanted to say. Now Jesus acted it out. Now he's going to go on in 14, 15, 16 to talk more. And then in 17 he's going to end with this great high priestly prayer. But he wanted first to do this object lesson of service, of sacrificial love, of giving grace to the unworthy, of showing what kind of Lord he is, that the Lord would be the one who would actually come down and wash our feet. And now Jesus turns it outward and says, now you go and you do this, because this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. That now Jesus' sacrificial service and love, right, that this foot washing foreshadows, it points to the cross where Jesus sacrifices his life, that that's the model now of Christian living. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, that someone is, is now we are about love and serving one another for the benefit and the good of the other person. That instead of being about ourselves, instead of being self-love, now it's about sacrificing ourselves in love for love of the other person, for the benefit of the other person. Instead of just working and earning for our own benefit, it's about the benefit of others. Instead of being self-serving, it's serving one another. An important thing, though, is that the cleansing comes before the commissioning. That before Jesus sends them out, he first cleanses and washes their feet. And this is super important because if it's like, go out, you go out and serve, you go out and love, and then I'll clean your feet. 
right? That's putting works before the actual reception of grace. But if it's grace first, if it's the cleansing first, then it's going out. Then we're going out in response to what we've just received. And that's where the power comes from. That's where the motivation comes from. Because if we know that we have been loved, if we have been served, if we have been washed in, our, in that way and, and received grace that we didn't deserve, then we go out and we have to go love and serve. And, and maybe some people we might not think are worthy of it, but we're not worthy. We didn't deserve to have our feet washed and to receive the love and grace and forgiveness that we have received. Then it's so much easier that we can now give love and forgiveness and service where before it would be hard. Now, I'm not saying it's still hard. It is because we have the flesh. We still have our self-love. But if we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us and the love and the forgiveness and service that he's already done for us, then we move out from that place of cleansing, then commissioning. And that power is with us as we know the God who has loved and served us. And so no person is too low that they are unworthy of the grace of God that is too far gone, is too filthy, is too sinful. So if you come in this morning and you think God would want nothing to do with me, that he might wash the feet of Peter because Peter's awesome or something, but he wouldn't wash mine, you're wrong. You're wrong. So Jesus offers it for all people. And in fact, in this passage, Judas, the one who's about to betray him, is still there. He hasn't left yet. So Jesus washes the feet of even his enemy, that he died for his enemies. And so no person is too far gone. No person is too sinful. No person is too filthy that Jesus can't come, that Jesus wouldn't come and wash their feet. He offers it for all people. And so for us as his disciples, that we offer our love and our service and our forgiveness to all, no matter who they are, and where they come from. Another thing is that no person is above serving. It's not like you, you serve when you first enter the discipleship of Jesus, and then you graduate from that. There's a ceremony. It's like, hey, you don't have to serve anymore. But now you just get to be served. Jesus says that the servant is not greater than the master. His point is, he's the master we're the servant, we're the disciples, and if Jesus' whole life was about service, his whole life was about love and giving everything, if there's one person that could live to be served, it would be Jesus, and yet he did not live to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And if that's what the master does, then that's what his disciples do as well. And so you never graduate. You're never too above serving. You don't come to a point in your life where you don't have to do that anymore. But your whole life is about serving and love because that's what Jesus' life was about. And so service is not just checking off a box 
One, one hour a Sunday or Wednesday, but service, that stuff's included, that stuff's part of it, but service is a mentality. It's an attitude of wherever I go, wherever Jesus sends me, wherever I'm commissioned out to be, that in that place, in, those in our community, in this church, in our families, at your jobs, right? Wherever you go, wherever Jesus sends you as his disciple, that we look as how can we bless and, and love and serve and benefit those around us? That's what Jesus wants us to do because he set us up to be a contrast community that the world lives this sort of way, this self-centered, self-love way. But Jesus set up this community around his life and his sacrificial death and his grace. And that's what his disciples are to be like in the world. Well, the world is watching. The world is watching. And Jesus knew that the world would be watching. In this context, John 13, 34, and 35, he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How is this new? Jesus says it's a new commandment. Well, the command to love one another is super old. It's found in Leviticus 19. So it's really old, Jesus. But he's saying the new commandment is based on his life. He used a comparison. As, as I have loved you, so you are now to love one another. Jesus is the model now. He's the person we're imitating. That love is now got a face. Love has a look to it. Love looks like Jesus. And how did Jesus love? By sacrificing, by serving, by loving, like John 13 style, by the cross, giving everything for the benefit, for the good, not thinking of his own interests. You go to Philippians 2, not thinking of his own self, but thinking of our interest for us, for our benefit. And so the world will know, it says, by this, all people will know. Because they'll look at us and they'll say, that looks like Jesus. Jesus lived to love and to serve others and to forgive. And if we're living out those actions, then we're gonna look like Jesus and his disciples. And so the world sees a lot of filth, <laughs> sees a lot of self-love, a lot of self-promotion, a lot of self-serving. What does it see when it looks at us? Does it see the contrast community? Does it see the light that we're supposed to be, right? Jesus is the light of the world. If we act like him, we are light. Does the world see self-love in us or does it see sacrificial love as we love one another? Does it see self-serving that we're just all about ourselves? Or does it see us serving and giving to one another. The world needs to see more Jesus. So may we be more like Jesus and his 
sacrificial love and serving. So love, serve, and show the world a different way, the Jesus way. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are so grateful, Lord, that you loved us and that you served us in this way. Father, we are unworthy of your grace. We're unworthy of what Jesus died and paid for. But we receive it and we thank you for it. And Father, help us send out this community, this grace community. As we have received your grace, help us to be conduits of it to be lights wherever we go, wherever you commission us to be, knowing that you've loved us, that you've served us, and we're not worthy of it. But we want to live our lives in response, in awe and worship of you. And Lord, we just want to say we're grateful, we thank you, and above all, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed and be a blessing.